Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Embit Podcast. I'm your host, Seamus Medan, and today, Drew Belcock joins the podcast to discuss his company, Pipedream, which is working on hyper-logistics to deliver packages to you underground in mere minutes. So first off, thank you, Drew, for taking the time to hop on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Seamus. Uh, it's always exciting to talk about the future, and uh, I definitely think we're building the future here at Pipedream. Thanks for taking the time. So would you mind introducing yourself to the audience, your background, and then what Pipe Dream is? Sure. So I'm Drew. Uh, my background's in mechanical and aerospace engineering. And then I've also worked as a consultant for electronics design, for mechanical and thermal design, and then as a systems engineer for a big manufacturing company, doing lots of high-level automation. So basically, I just like to use technology and build interesting things to make people's lives better. So... That's uh that's my background, and I got involved in Pipedream because Garrett, our CEO, uh, was my roommate in college. We like building stuff together. So this is a crazy idea he had. I think the first time he told me about it was in 2015, and I didn't really take him seriously back then. But uh, look where we are now. Yeah, for sure. And what is Pipedream, and uh, what does it do? So Pipedream is the world's first hyperlogistics company. We define hyperlogistics as kind of this end state of logistics where objects move around autonomously, quickly, and cheaply without disrupting any other um, infrastructure or activities within a city. So based on that definition, there's a pretty limited set of options in how you can achieve hyperlogistics. A lot of people are trying to do that with drones, which I think will be a, a small part of the future. Other people are trying to use autonomous vehicles, which is probably another part of the future. and then. What's unique about us is we are using a network of underground tunnels specifically dedicated to object delivery. So basically a utility service um, like water or electricity, but we can deliver things. And we do that with high-speed robots in these tunnels. So that's basically in a nutshell what Pipedream does. We want to replace the delivery of small and medium-sized objects. So you're really cheap, really fast, make things more accessible to everyone. And where do you plan on setting up the stations which can start delivering and receiving packages? Yeah, that's a great question. So the long-term answer is uh, 10 years from now, everyone would have one of these stations. We call them portals. They'll have a portal inside of their house. So it would replace like a cabinet in your kitchen, for example. And you could say, hey, Alexa, get me uh, some salt or some butter or a cup of sugar. And that could be delivered to you in about 30 seconds to one minute for very cheap from the network, uh, from a nearby store, et cetera. So that's what we see on like a 10-year scale. The portals are inside buildings used by everyone. That's the primary mode of transport for most things. In the near future, hopefully next year, we'll have some middle mile stations set up where we can put a portal in a shopping center, for example, that's close to lots of restaurants and then another portal inside of a neighborhood or an office park or inside of a high-rise apartment building. And we can cover the majority of the distance in a delivery with our network, but there would still be some other mode of transportation on the other end. And from an operational standpoint, it seems that building PVC pipes underground could take a lot of capital. In terms of operations, what do you see as the number one hurdle to the growth of the business in the long term? And what are you working on to overcome it? Ooh, that's a great question. So the number one hurdle, I think, for the growth of our business is going to be once we once we prove that this technology works and that it's economically viable, which is what we're working on this year, 
once we prove that, I don't think we'll be able to build these fast enough. You know, it's it's going to be an order of magnitude faster and an order of magnitude cheaper than current delivery options. And people are going to want them installed everywhere immediately. Um, so we're working on ways to create the standard for underground delivery and define how those pipes should be installed, where they should be installed, what the inputs look like, and then possibly even how to construct the portals. That way we can kind of outsource a lot of the development of the network to cities or utility developers or real estate developers. And then we can just bring our technology in via our robots, our portals and our software and create this unified economy that works together to just deploy these really rapidly. And Uber, for example, started in cities as the unit economics made the most sense. If you're successful in cities, do you plan on expanding into more rural areas as well? Or do you think that would be a better job for drones? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think our technology is really valuable in dense urban environments and also in suburb suburban environments that are really spread out. You kind of benefit from needing to move things around from consistent locations to other locations, and you're either separated by distance or time. So in an urban environment, you're separated by time. Even if you're really close together, you have to go through a lot of traffic and congestion. Um, in a suburb, you're spread out by distance, but not that much distance. So it still makes sense for our system. Going out to urban environments is really probably going to be better for another mode of transport. That's one of the applications where I think drones would do really well, for example, whether it's a fixed wing drone or a quadcopter. They don't require that infrastructure to make the trip, and there's not going to be enough trips to justify the infrastructure in those cases. And speaking of congestion, how can Pipe Dream help free up congestion in cities such as New York City and San Francisco? There was a study done by McKenzie, and I don't want to give you the wrong number, but I think it was something like 20 to 25% of all traffic is last mile delivery vehicles within urban environments. And they're projecting that to grow year over year for the next decade at least. So the large fraction of traffic within these cities and even within suburbs is already these last mile delivery vehicles. By enabling our system to make the majority of those deliveries, obviously we're not going to do furniture or flat screen TVs or things like that, but we can do the majority of everything else. We're going to remove some of those vehicles from the road and free up congestion for humans in cars, which I think we envision as the best use of roads in the future. And on the software side, how do you plan to make sure that consumers get the right packages uh, at the hub spots? So our system, one of the benefits is that we can track everything down to the second and we know who put the object into our system, we know where it's going. We can even schedule a delivery at a particular time. So if you're not going to be home, or if you're picking something up from a community portal that's in your neighborhood, maybe not at your house, you could schedule the pickup to happen at a certain time. And then we ha we'll have an app that goes with our system where users can check in to get their package. And they'll even be able to see what the package is prior to its arrival. And on your website, you said you aim to provide district uh, deliveries of groceries and prepared food items for a target cost of 75 cents. What's your estimation on what it might cost uh, on the consumer end? That is the cost for consumers. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And yeah. how would the consumers pay? Would it be like 75 cents at the kiosk? Or So this is something we haven't figured out entirely yet. We're obviously going to work with a lot of existing delivery partners initially and, and hopefully in the long term as well. So... You know, if you had DoorDash credits, for example, or, or Postmates credits, um, you could order through Postmates and then 
our service would be an option for the existing provider on the back end. So we could deliver some or all of their orders and then uh, charge that that vendor, that delivery partner um, for our fees, and they would roll that up into the fee to the end consumer. Um, in the long term, obviously, we have more direct interactions with the consumer. And so there would be some sort of pipe dream account for that, you know, possibly even a, a token in the long term, if that makes sense. And back in the day when I used to go to the bank in person, I remember when I uh, went through the drive through with my parents that there'd be these pneumatic tubes that sucked up checks or cash and it would deliver it to the teller. How is Pipe Dream different from existing systems like pneumatic tube? Yeah, that's a great question. That's that's probably the comparison we get the most for people. And and I think the good thing about that comparison is everybody loved that experience. I'm assuming you you thought that was really cool as a kid. Probably yeah, super it. neat to see it get sucked up. Yeah, sure. And they didn't have to get out of their car, go inside. You know, it, it was really efficient. And I think New York actually tried this back in the 1800s for a broad like city scale mail delivery. And then there were there were a lot of like political and economic factors that led led to that not working. And you know, the technology was obviously not what it is today, over 100 years ago. But our, our system differs in that we don't use, use pneumatics to move the pods around. They're actually robots with wheels and electric motors. And that technology has come a long way from the drone industry, miniaturizing electric motors. The electric car industry um, has worked on battery charge density. Like Both of those things have definitely played into our favor. And microcontrollers are getting smaller every year. So we're able to pack a lot of technology into those robots, and then they just operate on the surface of the pipe interior. Nothing is needed from a network standpoint to move the pods around, which is good because if a pod fails, then all the other pods around it can still move. Whereas if the pneumatic tube system at the bank, for example, if that failed, then all of the pods would be stuck. So we tried to build failure proofing into our design. And in terms of failure proofing, what would you do if stuff gets stuck underground uh, in the pipes or if there are some operational challenges there? Sure. Obviously, something's going to get stuck somewhere. <laughs> there have been a lot of solutions talked about internally. I think one of the more practical ones is we're going to have a, a service robot that has an arm attachment and a camera. It can be teleoperated to do some maintenance activities or even just latch onto the bot and pull it out of the way. The more fun option is just to ram it with another robot and push it out of the tube. So, you know, we'll we'll see how, how yeah. that goes <laughs> Probably not going to be the, the long-term solution. Right. And then for, in terms of hypergrowth, I think we could see a majority of this hypergrowth through apartment buildings, right? So you'd have like one at each lobby as an amenity resulting in the buildings next door to also want to add this to attract in more people to live at the apartment buildings. But what do you think about that? Oh, I definitely think that's the case. I mean, this is going to be super appealing to property managers and developers because it, it, like you said, it's an amenity. It's something that they can increase the value of their property with and the perceived value to their um, tenants. So they can probably charge more to have that feature, but then you know they don't need as much parking on site or they don't need a loading zone or they don't need a giant mail room in the lobby because you can just ship things directly up to people's apartments. So I think once we start connecting some of these high density 
applications, whether it's apartments or an office tower, and that starts being leveraged by the occupants, then adjacent buildings are going to want and expect that technology as well. So this is why we're trying to think about how do we standardize this? How can we empower other people to install the infrastructure and then we can just bring in the robots and the technology? That way we can grow really quickly and we don't have to have billions of dollars of capital on our balance sheet in order to leverage um, this opportunity. And as we're seeing in the economy, there could be an economic downturn, uh, a larger one at some point in the long term. We're seeing uh, Series A, Series B, and Series C valuations start to come down by around 20%. What's your? I know we talked about this a little bit before the pod, but what's your plan in terms of fundraising for the short term? Sure. So in the short term, we are uh, about to be doing a seed round and that seed round is going to be powering our first couple of pilot projects. Um, so it's not completed yet. So I can't talk about the specifics a lot, but uh, it's definitely a challenging time to raise right now, but we are blessed with a lot of like unique investors who get the long-term vision. And even though the macro economy is not great right now, they, they still believe in us. And most of our investors from our pre-seed round are following on. So we have a lot of good support from that. I think in the future, obviously, we'll, we hope to raise a Series A if these pilot projects go well. I'm hoping that the macro economy turns around before that happens, but we'll do the best that we can. This is a, a vision we believe in, and, and we're going to make it happen one way or another. And speaking of making it happen, um, how has your experience as an engineer helped when you're developing Pipedream and working through the operational aspects? Yeah, that's a great question. Good engineering is everything at a, at a technology company. We, we developed a set of core engineering principles. For example, the infrastructure that we installed needs to be as cheap as possible and um, as fail resistant as possible. That's why we're using just pipes and all the technologies on the robot. One, that makes them cheaper to install more infrastructure, but two, it allows us to upgrade the technology over time as motors get better, or batteries get better, or the design gets better without having to rip up infrastructure. It makes the permanent part of our system permanently valuable and the temporary part of our system easily upgradable. Um, so that's that's one example of like good engineering philosophy that goes into the company. And I think everyone except for one person on the team is an engineer right now, but even that person has a lot, a lot of like engineering mindset. So that's just one example of like dozens, maybe hundreds of, of little rules and like design philosophies that we have that we think set us apart from a lot of other companies. And to wrap it up here, what are your takeaways on Pipedream and where can people find more about your company? Yeah, takeaways on Pipedream. Uh, I think it's the future. We hope to be in a city near you uh, in the next five to 10 years. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, the company has a Twitter. Um, Garrett has a Twitter. I have a Twitter. And then we also have a website, pipedreamlabs.co. And we update that pretty frequently with technology advancements. And soon we'll have all the test networks that we're doing as well. That's super neat. There are definitely some big operational challenges ahead, but uh, if those could be overcome, it would be super neat to see a pipe dream around my area, especially. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to drop a five-star review down below. And thank you, Drew, for taking the time to hop on the podcast today. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Seamus. Appreciate it.